starting, Q1 ended. It was one of the strongest quarters we have seen. In today's space, it's going to be probably 90, 95% uh, general crypto, general economy. Uh, we ref uh, reflect a bit on Q1. Um, we're going to have a transparency report next week. I think we should be able to do it next week. Um, maybe there's going to be a bit of delay with East and everything, but I think we should be able to. Then we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into the cake reflection and, and the entire reflection more from a not so much economy standpoint, but really more on a company standpoint. Maybe I'll also do some personal kind of reflections in there. I did those actually uh, this weekend. Uh, that was me um, on a personal level uh, reflecting a bit. So let's see how much I'm going to throw in there. Um, so we're going to do this next Tuesday. Today, it's going to be 95% general economy and 5% personal, 5% company. And then um, we're going to do a quick reflection. So probably like the first 10 minutes and the remaining 40 minutes is going to be Q2. Same thing. Very little cake, very little personal. There's going to be maybe a little bit of cake that we throw in as a nice little teaser. So you definitely want to stay until the end. And that's going to be a bit of the outline. It's going to be quite interesting. Um, I don't know exactly yet what Fabio's uh, reflections or forecasts are. So we always keep this a bit of a secret. And so it's going to be a bit of a nice discussion. Fabio, welcome. How's everything? Fabio, head of community here at Cake. Uh, yeah, thanks for keeping everything in due order uh what's happening out there hey guys happy tuesday um yeah uh, exciting q1 uh super exciting surprisingly exciting uh maybe a little bit too exciting um and uh i guess an uncertain q2 um maybe we can start a little bit with reflections into q1 yeah, before we, we venture into other things. Why don't so, you start? What what's, what sticks out for you? Um, maybe start with a few and then I'll share mine. I think that's a nice combo here. Yeah. Uh, so end of December or the end of the year was pretty depressing. Uh, and I got uh, almost everybody got positively surprised, uh, especially by price action. We had so many dark clouds uh, on the horizon um, with... Uh, oh, oh, it all kicked off, of course, with with all the um, uh, companies that um, kind of sunsetted their services and uh, uh, blocked withdrawals and FTX and 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 Genesis and uh, yeah. So we started into January, and what the, the the most surprising thing for me is we have probably the most thermonuclear crackdown. Uh, in the regulations that we could possibly have, like nobody expected that the SEC uh, and now the CFTC would go as strong, as fast, uh, and the price doesn't care. The price just goes up, goes sideways. And um, if you would have told me that in Q4, uh, that there will be a strong push um, from the SEC or, or especially US regulators, um, and the price is going up, I would have told you you're insane uh but what happened happened um uh, it's also um regular markets uh s&p 500 nasdaq everything is holding up quite well um unemployment is still down um it's very weird like uh, the thing that comes to my mind um most often and is especially true for the bears right now is uh, a market can stay irrational longer than you can stay liquid um, and i think this quote is uh, so true right now um, because it's always the... true. But uh, Q1 was very true. Capo, what, what, what is this guy's name? Capo Crypto, Crypto Capo. I never know. Capo, Capo of Crypto, I think is uh, his Twitter mm -hmm. handle. Yeah. And is he still uh, short? It, he's still short. Um, and he could, he, you know, with like so much commitment that in the end, he could end up being right eventually. Uh, but so if I, if we go back, um, I remember during June, July, August, everybody was talking, is this a recession or is this not a recession? And like, this is eight months ago. And since eight months, we're kind of hanging in there, not even doing that bad. And we're talking about recession since eight months. And since these eight months, we have seen the fastest historical uh, rate hikes from the Fed ever uh, we have seen major systemically important institutions going away. Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, Credit Suisse, and the market is doing okay. 
Uh, so we're truly living in uh, very special times. Um, and that's a bit of, uh, of course, a little bit further back than Q1, but that's what stood out to me or what was especially surprising. Um, what, what were your uh, major takeaways from, from Q1? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm just going to drizzle in a little bit of a personal reflection. Every once in a while, um, I read uh, Sun Tzu's Art of War. Um, just as a bit of a reminder, I go through, I have this really old copy. I mean, not it's, the book is not really old, but it's like I have had this copy for quite some time and it's like highlighted and notes in there. And the interesting thing is, um, I don't know, uh, obviously, depending on how I'm feeling or what stage I'm in, I basically have had this book now, I know, uh, I, I don't think, no, no, I definitely didn't have it when I was still a medical doctor, but I've had it during the really rough times when I was still in Hong Kong, which is now 10 years ago, um, and I've had it during various times, right? And every single time there's different notes. And so I kind of go through this and like one of those kind of rules as a, as, a, as, as a good general is kind of the intelligence game, right? So you want to uh, have better information than the opponent. And so... Um, that was a quite an interesting thing this time because I really kind of asked myself, do I have better information right now than my opponent, right? And obviously the opponent is every other investor in this case. And so, um, it, and, and then like a, a, good, a good general, maybe at some point I'm going to do an entire walkthrough as an investor on this book. And like one, obviously one of those rules as a good uh, general is that you fight a war in the right terrain, so in the right kind of environment, right? And and uh, different types of terrain require different kind of warfare. And um, I, for me, there's always the interpretation that obviously different market environments require you to invest very differently. And and the bad uh, generals, they always try to fight the same way. It doesn't matter what the terrain is, right? They always try to have the same kind of tool or the same kind of weapon. So for me, Q1 was this really strong reflection on really not understanding like why the market is doing what it's doing. Um, I think in, in, in January, I was completely wrong. Fabio, you have been, I think, spot on right. Um, I was way more bearish than the market actually turned out to be. I know you have been this permable and I think you have been, I think you also got surprised in how bullish it was, but you have definitely been like completely right in Q1 and I've been very wrong with my assessment. Um, and I, I try to understand why this is, right? And can I come up with an explanation? And I really struggle a bit with the explanations. So, um, and, and that's a bit of the, like, fighting that war, right? And, and, uh, and so, obviously, in Sun Tzu's Art of War, it's, uh, you know, only fight those wars that you know that you're going to win fast. And you don't want to have a prolonged war. You don't want to fight a war where you don't know the opponent, where you don't know the terrain. You, you're lacking the information. And so it's just um, a good reminder. And I kind of read that book over the weekend. It's a super short book. So I kind of read it again. And um, generally, to me, um, I probably have to admit that my assessment at the beginning of the year was way too bearish. And generally was a correction to December um, and probably December, November was probably too bearish. And so January to me was that counter correction to probably a level that was okay, right? So at least that's my explanation. Again, I have no clue, but I have to come up with some explanation. February was not much. And then March was, as you mentioned, this crazy crackdown. Um, and the market did exactly the opposite, right? That you would be expecting. Um, and so I'm kind of reflecting on why I think this is, right? And again, um, I, I, I'm, I'm really kind of pulling stuff out of, uh, yeah, my rear end here because I really don't know 100% why this is. Um, to me, four explanations why the market is up, especially in March. Um, I think first, it's because people interpret the Fed balance sheet expanding as this extra liquidity However, however, the data at the moment shows that this is actually not extra liquidity. It's actually reducing liquidity for the simple reason that, yes, the balance sheet goes up, but actually the velocity of the money seems to be slowing down. And this is very dramatic. So slowing down of money is, even if you have more money, if the money velocity goes down, this means the money doesn't actually hit the stuff. So it just kind of sickers in. So it's the same as the, the extreme example is imagine the Fed doubles its balance sheet, right? Everyone would assume that now stuff goes haywire. But just imagine all this money was given to, I don't know, let's say Elon Musk. It's unlikely that we would see any inflation, right? Because it's very unlikely that Elon goes and does anything crazy. Yeah, he may change the Twitter icon to Doge, but I don't think he would go out and create much inflation. 
right? So, um, so to me, that's actually an, a misinterpretation right now in the market. But I think that explains why tech is up so much. And here's an interesting statistic. Um, out of the NASDAQ, it's actually only eight stocks. No, sorry, 10 stocks in the NASDAQ or eight stocks in the NASDAQ, I think. It doesn't matter. Um, like two handful of stocks in the NASDAQ actually produced 90% of its results. That's it. And on the S&P 500, it's, I think, two extra stocks that's needed to produce 90% of the gains, right? So it's a super narrow breadth in the market that's actually generating all the returns. So just being in the NASDAQ wouldn't, would have given you nice returns. But then if you had picked out Tesla, NVIDIA, and I don't know, like a couple of others, you would have, see, you would have actually almost outperformed Bitcoin, or probably you would have outperformed Bitcoin, right? So if you had just gotten those eight stocks, it's crazy, right? Crypto, same thing. Crypto performed incredibly well. However, it was actually only Bitcoin that did incredibly in comparison to all the others. Slaughtered all the altcoins, right? You have to say this in Q1. Absolutely bonkers. So why is this? Well, extra liquidity, I think that explains it. And I, and, and I think that's key. Gold did really well. Why? Because of that narrative with banking crises. Makes sense. Um, Bitcoin did really well because of that. And then there's one thing that I just want to bring up here, um, which is, in my opinion, actually the main reason why crypto is up so much, and especially Bitcoin is up, it's something that the market doesn't want to discuss, and it's not discussed much. And that is, in my opinion, the exit liquidity that Binance has been created, uh, creating to get out of BUSD. Now, I don't know if this is something, Fabio, that I should go in right now, or if you want to add something first, but this to me is actually the number one reason why I think we have been going up. And this is something that I'm watching very carefully right now, because I think it's going to give me a bit of a tail sign if I'm right here, right? So I, again, I'm trying to be the general who's trying to kind of analyze the enemy, right? I'm not saying Vine is the enemy by no means. I'm just talking like trying to understand the... the the war field and how I'm going to approach this. But I, I wanted to give you, um, because I went into a bit of a monologue, I wanted to see if you wanted to say some things. Um, yeah, on Binance, I actually, uh, I'm not very knowledgeable. So I saw a few conspiracy theories that uh, CZ might have even been short uh, or Binance uh, in some way uh, was short a long time um, on, on Bitcoin. And it kind of switched around at the 20,000 levels and converted uh, a lot of BUSD uh, into Bitcoin and uh, kind of um, uh, switched around there. So I, what, what I could or, or what I 100% believe without any uh, conspiracy theories, and maybe you can give us a little bit more details on this uh, in a bit, but I would uh, it, just wet finger science. Uh, I would say the main reasons why we had this strong Q1 was a, a very limited... Uh, uh, amount of players like MicroStrategy, uh, like Binance, and maybe a few other institutions that covered their shorts. Uh, MicroStrategy, of course, that that bought a few uh, hundred millions, I think, uh, and 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 Binance that kind of switched a, fl uh, a, a flip, and that's it. Uh, of course, uh, there is always with every um, um, turn in the market, there is a lot of retail that jumps on this. Um, uh, but before we go into what could possibly happen in Q2 or for the rest of the year, I would be really, really interested in your take on, on this whole Binance thing because, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, I think let's talk facts and then let's talk a little bit of speculation, right? Facts. And I mean, these are facts because we know this stuff. We know that Binance and CC had at least a billion dollars in BUSD that they had announced. CC went on Twitter, right? And had announced that he is going to switch BUSD into Bitcoin and into Ethereum and into BNB, right? This is not like, this is not me speculating. This is proven. We also know that Binance over minted BUSD on their chain. We know that because they admitted that. They said this was only for a very short period of time. It's not that the exact period of time was not known. Um, but like the analysis, the blockchain analysis says this was about a billion dollars in BUSD that was over minted for about three weeks, right? This is now a little bit like that. some fact is sure because uh, CC and Binance actually confirmed that they over minted. 
Obviously, there's a little bit of speculation how much was overminted and what the timeline is. But to be honest, it wouldn't surprise me if it is a billion dollars for a couple of weeks over, right? So I, I let's say I don't think that's too far off. So this is fact, right? So if you see this as a short because you overminted, you could see this as a short. Now this is now really speculation. Obviously, I don't have any proof or evidence of that. However, what I am now going a bit more into, let's go a bit more down the rumor mill or the, the, the speculation mill here. Imagine you have a treasury at Binance, right? And, and let's say you are somewhat conservative with your treasury. Then what would Binance do? Well, probably they're going to put their treasury and similar what we do at, at Cake. It's actually not much difference, right? So we would hold dollars. We actually hold actual dollars in bank accounts. I'm not sure Binance actually gets bank accounts. Um, knowing how difficult this is, I wouldn't be surprised if Binance has so many bank accounts, probably none actually. Um, also, there was in the CFTC kind of suit, a lot of people speculated that Binance had no bank accounts and that's why they had to pay everyone crypto, right? Again, not too far-fetched. So if you, don't, if you cannot hold your dollars in bank accounts, you hold them as stable coins. Now, if you're Binance, which stable coin do you hold? BUSD. Why would you hold this? Very simple, because you're working with PACs. You know it's backed, it's audited, it's regulated, right? So the risk of the dollars not being there is basically zero, and you don't, and you basically have this relationship. Plus, you're probably going to have a revenue share on the interest there, right? So it makes absolutely no sense for Binance to hold any other stablecoin. So the only speculation that you would have to have is how much above the billion dollars that Binance confirmed they have. I mean, that's confirmed, right? How much additional BUSD do they have? And this is speculation, right? And I saw some analysis. Again, this is purely speculation here, that went that Binance had over 10 billion of their own treasury in BUSD. I don't think that's far-fetched, right? I don't think that's far. Like having 10 billion in BUSD, I don't think that's too far. So, but could be, maybe it's just a billion. So now they have this, they have their Bitcoin, they have their ETH, right? Now, the big thing now is, you know that you are being pressured with BUSD. And the only question is, how long ago did Binance notice? Did they find out when Paxos was served the wealth notice and when this went public? Or was this, no, was this notified, were they notified way earlier, right? Because the stuff that was never discussed but could be is that one of the reasons why BUSD was targeted and not USDP could be because it was basically by, uh, Binance bypassing sanctions regulations right, where they could actually have direct deposits with the bank and them not having it with the bank, but them using a third party with that, right? Again, this is pure speculation. I'm just throwing this in there. However, what we definitely know is that Binance wanted to get out of their BUSD. Now, if you are trying to get out of a stable coin or any coin, and this is a really large amount, you need to find an avenue that's super liquid. You have to, right? And, and, and you can only go via very small channels. So what does Binance do? And this is also like, I mean, sure, can be total random, right? Maybe what coincidence? End of December, 2022, they go and they remove all trading fees on their platform for BUSD versus Bitcoin versus Ethereum versus BNB. And many people, right, including myself, said, wow, you know, this is such a market grab. Um, and, and here's the statistic. Binance had 92% of the spot Bitcoin trading volume by the end of last year. 92%, right? So everyone else had eight. This is not speculation. This is independent data analysis, right? And I don't think many people would challenge this. So interesting fact, right? So Binance generates a lot of liquidity on their platform, Maybe, maybe to, off, to, to load off their BUSD. I'm, I'm not saying they did. I'm just saying, right? Could be. So now they're loading this off. BUSD keeps dropping. Check out the market cap yourself. It started dropping the moment this fee went to zero. How does this any, make any sense? This to me, this is what makes no sense now. At this point, I didn't pay attention to this. Why would the BUSD market cap drop over the last three months? When there was no trading fee, I would, I would assume the cap went up. Plus, they go, and now think about this. 
they convert all stable coins to BUSD directly. Now, why would they do this? Because they get exit liquidity. They right away get exit liquidity this way, right? Straight away. But instead of the market cap of BUSD going up, it drops. Check it out yourself. Go to CoinMarketCap, go to CoinGecko, check out the market cap of BUSD since the since end of December. To me, I cannot even explain why the market cap goes down. So in my opinion, Binance since the end of December sold BUSD like crazy into anything that they could get into because there was no other exit for them. The only exit they had was into those stable coins that were either given to them or that super narrow stable coin that they actually have. I mean, stable coin to stable coin, very thin trading vol uh, volatility, uh, uh, liquidity, because no one cares about this. The big thing is stable coin into Bitcoin. That's the big thing. And I think that was the main exit over the last, I don't know, 10 months. Then they went, once they finished with their part, right? So they sold their stuff first because they wanted to have better prices. Then they went public and said, we want to exit the uh, insurance fund, the, the safe you fund or whatever, right? Now they go public. The price starts pumping. Doesn't matter to them because the majority of their funds are already in crypto. That's maybe, maybe the reason why a lot of it pumped, right? And now they have been selling off the entire BUSD from there. And I think the latest statistic, again, this gets tracked, right? So this you can track. The other part is rumor, right? It's pure speculation. This part gets tracked. I think they have about 100-something million left of BUSD. And the rumor is, the rumor is tomorrow, April 5th, this is left, uh, this should be done based on the volume that they have been going. This I don't know, right? So let's hope this theory is completely wrong. Because if this theory is right, then we may not see much of this buying pressure from the April 6th onward anymore. So I really hope that theory is wrong, to be honest. So um, we also saw the US load off about 250 million, I think close to $300 million worth of Bitcoin. They're trying to scare the market that in Q2, they're going to load off another billion. That got completely offset with sailors purchase in Q1. So um, yeah, what's left to me is really Binance having to go out of BUSD. And I think that was the reason again. And otherwise explain to me why the market cap of BUSD kept going down. This was even before this entire announcement around um, BUSD. Makes no sense to me. And uh, yeah, um, that to me is kind of the main explanation why the market is up so crazy. And now to, and we can lead into Q2, right? And Q2 is going to depend a lot on what's Binance going to do now. Is Binance, and this is not an interesting one, Binance started two weeks ago, zero trading fees on true USD. True. Why? Because they seem to have a new partnership there and they are trying to, I don't know, adopt that more on the platform. Like, and obviously the rumor mill would say, now they're going to exit from whatever coins they have into true USD. They need to get liquidity there um, for that simple reason so they can get back into a stable coin that, first of all, they are allowed to have, and they really need a lot of that, right? And um, and they obviously want to have a revenue share, probably. So I would so to be fair here, 20% facts, 80% speculation. Uh, I love the summary. Of course, I would draw very different conclusions uh, just uh, by by the nature of me being a bit of a conspiracy theorist. Uh, but you explained this very nu nuanced. Um, like I, I, I'm, I'm not one hundred percent sure. So we have a few things that are uh, a few entities that we already know that are going to sell off. Uh, we have, um, you know, the whole. GBTC Genesis thing, we have uh, Mount Gox, we have Binance, we have the US government. Um, there, there's a lot of entities, not all of them are uh, uh, going to act in Q2, but they're kind of scheduled maybe for uh, the next year or so. Um, and there is definitely some uncertainty. I tried to stay very nuanced when it comes to these things, because of course, everybody's aware, everybody knows that these things are, are uh, happening. So they're in my opinion, kind of priced in. Um, I, I think Macro is probably going to be a, uh, probably going to have a bigger impact than the things we already know about. 
Um, and uh, it, it is so difficult to navigate these times. And I personally, I like to be very conservative in my approach. Uh, I talked about this uh, a lot of times. Um, like I, especially in, in, in a bear market that we are in right now. And a lot of people are underestimate how long a bear market really takes. And they think the first capitulation event is the end of the bear market. But historically, this wasn't the case. So if you just look at, for example, 2015, uh, we had a capitulation candle. And then I think a year later, we tested the lows again. Uh, and the same thing in 2019. Um, we had a capitulation candle in, I think, December of 2018. And then we tested the lows again in March 2020. And um, I personally expect something similar here as well. I think the lows with 16,000 or around 16,000 are actually the lows to look at. I don't think we will go much lower than that. And if we go lower, it's probably going to be an event. Nobody can really cap uh, capitalize on it. So it's going to be a, a sharp wick. Um, but um, I, I can definitely foresee the market going there within the next... 18 months or so because a lot of people we have the halfening in about 390 days which is like 13 months and you have historically uh, usually the halfening has no, no uh, wait front the halfening should be less than a year halfening is in march let me let me see uh 2024 bitcoin thinking end of april you're right yes you're right okay you're right yep you're 388 right. Sorry, days or so yep my bad you're right Oh, yeah. uh, guesstimated, um, um, yeah, uh, end of April, beginning of May. You're right. Okay. Yeah. The uh, and usually we have a front running of the halving. It doesn't need to happen, but usually does. So I can really foresee the market picking up some steam during the course of this year, maybe the beginning of next year, and then usually after the halving, we 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 kind of correct again. And I I think a lot of people are mentally not prepared for to wait 14 months until we really, really, you know, or, or maybe 15 months, maybe even 18 months. So if you just look at, for example, the, the period between 20, end of 2017 until end of 2020, uh, it took Bitcoin three years to uh, go for an all-time high again. And some altcoins even longer than that. And what I try to prepare myself mentally is... Um, it's going to take three years again. So we had November of 2021. Uh, three years is November of 2024. Um, and so I mentally prepare myself for the end of 2024, maybe the beginning of 2025. Um, and I think a lot of people are very impatient. Like I see a lot of people talking about new all-time highs this year or next year or all season and, and things like that. And I just try to manage my expectations and, and kind of set myself up very conservative. In my case, this is a larger part of my crypto holdings are in Bitcoin. A larger part of my other portfolio is in gold and in cash. Uh, and I want to sit this out a little bit, you know, like give myself another 18 months or so until I really think of um, exposing myself heavily again uh, into more riskier, uh, more alpha um, 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 assets. And uh, yeah, I, I just don't see why this time should be different, especially with all the dark clouds hanging above us uh, in, in, in traditional markets. Uh, what's, what's your view? Like that's what maybe if I go would um, put this into words for Q2, um, I still feel a lot of uncertainty and I don't see us just taking off and, 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 and going to new all-time highs. Uh, a, re a recession is practically confirmed. Um, yeah, I, I think... Uh, we we talked talked about the no landing soft landing hypothesis or or, or or anything even even if the Fed is going to pivot an emergency rate cut this doesn't mean that asset prices are going to pump usually if the Fed pivots we have a six month period of downside ahead of us so let's just say the most bullish outcome that crypto Twitter is talking about is oh the Fed is going to pivot in June let's just say they do then this probably means we have another six months of downside. Uh, that's what, at least what, what I try to prepare myself. Uh, I don't know. What, what Do you have a, a bullish outlook for Q2 or what do you think is coming for us? Okay, so very difficult for me to judge the price. Um, and that's, I mean, Farad posted it before, um, like dollar cost averaging. I This is my strategy. So I'm taking this away. And the reason is 
as I mentioned, I really am just kind of playing the guessing game here a bit on why price is up. I struggle a bit with all the kind of reasons that all these experts on social media or someone share because there's so many counter narratives to that, right? When people tell me, oh, um, Bitcoin is up because people are escaping the banks. And then I look at app statistics, right? Like how high are the traditional apps that people use to buy Bitcoin? They're not doing well. You look at the app Bitcoin search trend. It's not doing well, right? So we're by far like nowhere where this is interesting. So I, I don't know. I struggle with all these explanations, right? So yeah, it, th that's why I'm very cautious right now in, in, in saying, hey, it's going to be bearish or bullish. To me, it's more on, I would dollar cost average. I, I think this is a key concept at the moment. Um, I want to have money in crypto and I want to have money out of crypto. I want to be able to benefit from the rally and I want to be able to buy more if crypto sees a 30% drop. So I think that's a key thing. To be really specific about Q2, um, let's talk bullish stuff. I have no clue what happened in Q1. If the same thing happens in Q2, Man, we're going to rip even further, right? And I mean, uh, generally speaking, Q2s are the quarters that can actually be extremely strong, right? So it, it, it is actually, statistically speaking, it's Q1 that is the weaker quarters and Q2 are the strong quarters. So if we just see more of the same, whatever that is, right? I have no clue what it was. I'm just kind of coming up with stuff. But if we see more of the same, my goodness, right? We're going to see another... 50% up, 50% up from here, right? We are getting close to 40 to 50,000. Then people really going to FOMO in. And then, I mean, we may see some really kind of attack to some higher highs. Um, but again, I have no clue because I really struggle in understanding where this, did this pump come from in the first place. So I do see this a bit. Flip side, let me just throw in a couple of things here, right? Um, April 12th, Ethereum... Chappelle upgrade. I do believe that there's going to be one or two weeks afterwards where Ethereum is going to struggle a bit. And I could foresee that then afterwards there's going to be a bit of a rotation where then maybe, maybe Ethereum is going to kind of earn back a bit of what they what it lost in Q1, right? So that is something that I definitely see. And that's probably something that's going to happen. I mean, that's going to affect us in the next 10, 14, 21 days as a whole. So I, I do see this right away. I do see the U.S. announcing at least or planning to sell a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. Someone's going to have to buy that, right? I mean, the U.S. had made this very clear. They're not going to dump this in the open market, at least I, I, I don't think so. They're going to probably sell this OTC via Coinbase. So the question is, whoever buys this is not going to buy stuff on the open market. So maybe it's not going to have a negative price impact, but it's also going to hinder a potential positive price impact. So these are just things that I'm seeing. I have a couple of other points, but I want to see if you have some very specifics that you see in Q2 or that you're watching. Macro, you mentioned this. Yeah, recession. Yeah, definitely. The, the, the number one thing that I try to pay attention to is uh, the Fed's balance sheet, the rate hikes. Are they going to pass? Are they going to follow mm. through? Uh, Very and good point. How, how does uh, the market take it? So my expectation is... Um, they still want to do 25 basis points. Uh, that would put them into the terminal rate. That's, and they kind of telegraphed all of this. The issue was just nobody believed them. Like, they, they, why did all the banks run into um, so many problems? Two, two factors. The first factor was uh, the transitory narrative. So they miscommunicated. He was, uh, the whole Fed was just, okay, this is just transitory. Uh, uh, rates are going to stay low. Don't worry, don't worry. And then they didn't. And they kind of did the sharpest U-turn they ever did. And then they they, they had this in, insane uh, uh, rate hikes, but they were very much telegraphed. Like he said what he's going to do. He put a time frame on it. No and one he believed him, up. but he still did it. And yeah. yeah, nobody believed him. And um, <laughs> now the people are kind of switching a flip and they're like, okay, maybe we should believe this guy. And you can also see it on uh, on the CME futures. Uh, I, I like to yep. check that, um, uh, just what is the market pricing in and what is the market not pricing in. And um, I think he, they, they're going to hike 25 basis points. But I'm also pretty sure that there's something 
is going to break. Something like not a Credit Suisse, uh, but maybe a, a bit a higher level of, of breaking. Some credit events, uh, some liquidity event, repo market, credit markets. Uh, you can never say what is about to happen. But I, I'm, I'm pretty sure if the rates stay that high. Um, so what I usually like to look at is you can, for example, you can look at an average exposure um, rate that European banks have, for example. And Europeans, they do a lot better than Americans because in Europe we have these um, interest rate stress tests. So they, they, the regulation after the grand financial crisis here in Europe is was actually pretty decent. And the banks, they kind of um, are better prepared for a bad interest rate situations as we are in right now. But what is really bad is a lot of banks are highly over levered and sometimes with a factor of 30 to 1, meaning if their balance sheet changes by 3%, they're underwater. And the things to look at uh, for me or the, 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 the things that I try to follow along is especially commercial real estate, because this is what banks have major exposure in um, than residential re uh, real estate. And if those two fall uh, and if asset prices fall, I can really see a lot of banks suddenly having a lot of liquidity problems. And then um, it, the, the question is, how do central banks approach this? Like with what kind of liquidity tools tr do they try to fix this and how big is the damage? Um, so I guess commercial real estate, uh, residential real estate, unemployment rates, rate hikes, these four factors and how they develop within Q2, maybe even into Q3 are really the things to follow. And if somebody would put a gun to my head and say, okay, bet on something, um, like I would bet 25 basis points from the Fed uh, and then they hold and they will hold until something breaks. That's what I would put my money on i don't know if if you would need to make a bet would how how would you um i mean what do you see 100 aligned one thing that i just want to say about interest rates generally speaking it's not so much the amount of interest rates that cause something to break it's just the system adjusts to it it's really more that the, the the speed of change right and i mean we had actually it's interesting how spot on we were about a year ago when we discussed this. We always uh, like explained this with gravity, right? And so the issue is not that Earth has the gravity it has. The issue would be if Earth's gravity would double or triple within an instant or within a year, right? All of us would die. If gravity would change to three times the gravity and this would take decades, right, or centuries, all our bodies, everything would adjust. But it's like this, this, this super quick change. That's what's so dangerous. And so that's what we are seeing. So I do want to say one thing, though. If the Fed just sticks to a high interest rate and just stays there, sure, there are issues to it. But the longer it actually stays and the longer nothing happens, actually, this, the probability of stuff not happening goes up because this, this means time, that these things have time to adjust. Right. So that's something that is, is just key. So either something breaks actually in Q2 with these interest rates. And I actually do agree with you. Right. It's unlikely that the, the rates are going to go higher. And actually, I think Powell has signaled it's probably going to stay there. Um, if so, Q2 is the has the highest probability of something breaking. Q3 is lower than Q2, right? And Q2 is already lower than Q1. Q4 is lower than Q3, is lower than Q2. And it keeps going down. The probability keeps going down, even though the, the, the rates stay where they are. And I know this is counterproductive. It's just because the system has more time to adjust. Now, there's one key exception to this, and that's really real estate. And we're seeing this on residential and especially commercial. I mean, we discussed this so many times. This is really the, the a, a, a very dangerous one that can really kind of spiral and, and really kind of come in. Now, obviously, this has not something directly to do with, 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 with bonds. So the, the, the issue there is not directly that. But it's just that then for the Fed, there's, there could be the signal that says, okay, we're really going into, the, in, into a recession. We're really breaking the economy, not the financial system. We're breaking the economy. We need to counter that, right? So, um, yeah, three reasons, right, why the Fed is would aggressively change the tune. First, 
inflation drops below interest rates, right? You never want to have infl infl uh, in uh, interest rates much higher than inflation because this sucks everything up, right? So that means you're going to go really, really, really collapsing everything. So you don't want interest rates higher than inflation. You want them about the same, a little bit up or down, right? So that's the first thing. Second thing, um, if spreads in the bond prices or the bond prices itself really have issues or major, major banks have issues. We've seen this in March. That's why there was a significant move. Third thing, we go into a recession or there's some serious issues. That's when in, in, in the economy, that's when the, um, when the, um, when, when the bank, uh, when the Fed really has to move. Um, and, and also maybe one thing, right? And I know when I come across with this thing, people are always like, and you are the CEO of a crypto company. How can you be so, like, how can you voice such things so constructively about the fiat markets, right? So I do want to, because I, I just always try to be intellectually honest, right? I don't like to go and talk negative about one thing and then apply the same, or positive about one thing and then apply the same principles to talk negative about something else, right? This makes no sense. The principle should stay the same. And if I talk about something positive here, then I want to talk about positive here. So let's, for example, talk inflation rates, right? People always say inflation is bad. Inflation is only bad if it's higher than what the actual growth is, right? Then you have an issue because then you have these prices and these prices go up faster than what the value that you actually accumulate. So in theory, so this is just really key, the th in theory, this crashing dollar price chart that people always show, right, is actually not a real fair depiction because over this time, right, people have been living better and better and better and better. And yes, I know that people don't say they live better today than they lived 50 years ago. But then, and, and then they show these very selected pictures of like this one picture that's super nice, but they don't show all the other things, right? They don't show how healthcare has really improved and they don't talk about how much money goes in there, right? And sure, I get it. Um, retirement has really improved and so on, right? So I understand it's very difficult to talk about this, but the reason the dollar went down so much was of course, because more and more dollars got printed, but at the same time, people also produced more. The issue is this production is very, it is not very equal. There are some people who just produce so much, right? They are so efficient and you have a lot of people who are not. So that means generally speaking, you have a few people who accumulate a lot of wealth and a lot of people who don't, right? So that's just how it is, right? And, and, and over time, right, we probably, and I think Ray Dalio talks about this a lot, right? We need to find fair ways how you're still incentivizing those people who are just so good, let's say, let, let's use Elon Musk, right? Who is just so good at being useful, scaling that usefulness to like, I don't know, millions of people and just accumulates hundreds of billions of dollars, right? Should Elon Musk have hundreds of billions of dollars? Probably not. Probably this doesn't make much sense, right? But the question is, how would you change that system where Elon would still have maybe not hundreds of billions, but maybe billions, right? And the rest somehow get shifted for other useful stuff. Again, not just to give it to people who don't want to work, who don't want to be useful, but gets used for something, right? The argument the open market makes, the free market makes that someone like Elon can actually do this way better in allocating than some rule or some system. And Ray Dalio has also talked about this a lot, right? Where he says capitalism is super important and it's the absolute winner, but we need to have something that doesn't leave everyone behind in this growth. And so you can have only two options. Well, you statements, okay, either people step up and they have to become more useful. And the problem is just that we don't have that and people are just lazy and, and, and this is what 90% are. And, and that's the problem. So I, I just want to talk about this in do with dollars because people like put this into a wrong perspective. Now, why do I say this, right? It's actually a reason why I went on this little X course here. Um, because as long as growth, and this is the key thing, as long as growth goes over inflation, goes over interest rates, we're actually going to outproduce ourselves out of this entire mess, right? People are hoping that AI can do this. I mean, people are talking right now that we could see like a 7% increase in productivity, right? And if this were to, if, if this were to happen, like other than us having to be scared maybe of AI, 
um, but the economy would get solved right away, like no problem, right? And, 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 and this is key. If this does not happen, then how did the US mainly get out of this after the Second World War? Very simple, extremely high taxes, right? Extremely high taxes, um, cuts, lower quality of living. So this is going to be the interesting question going forward because obviously the third option is you just keep printing money and you just push the can down the road, but you never really solve it. And then at some point, it's just going to implode. So I just wanted to mention this because to me, what triggers me sometimes is how intellectually dishonest people are when they talk about these things. Um, yeah, and, 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 and there are solutions to it, right? I, I also want to be clear. I'm not saying that these solutions are easy to achieve. I think they're actually freaking hard, especially in how deep we are down the drain already. But yeah, I just wanted to add that because sometimes it frustrates me how dishonest people are about this. Yeah, and also a thing that they had going for them uh, that we are not having the luxury of right now is amazing demographics. Um, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. And we, we definitely, like, I, I saw a lot of conversation with you, uh, the topic that you brought up, because uh, for a lot of investors, it's actually pretty obvious that, okay, demographics is not going to do it, uh, but maybe productivity with AI. And uh, this is practically the only thing that could, could save economic growth um, over, the, over the next 10 or 20 years, because it's not going to be demographics. And it's not going to be credit, because um, we, have, we already have way too much credit, and credit is practically just borrowing from the future. So we, we, we kind of took the value from the future into the now uh, because the demographics are, were declining. And now we don't have those two options. So, yeah, there's only one option left, which is productivity. And uh, it, it kind of looks like uh, that AI could be uh, the thing that, that could save us. I have a, maybe a, a one, one more question before we can go in, into the uh, finishing section of the, of the Cake Defi Live today. And this is, can you share maybe a little bit, how do you view the Dixie, the US dollar? Um, maybe over there. Sorry, how, uh, do right I, how do I view? The, the, the DXY, Dixie, the US dollar. Uh, and Ooh, I, haven't, I haven't followed uh, the index. Okay. Um, why? Uh, give, give me a bit of a rundown. I haven't been following it much, uh, to be honest. So, of course, in 2022, we saw oh, an unbelievable strong U.S. dollar, and um, because the U.S. Uh, increased their, their their rates and a lot of money, all the debt in the world is denominated in in U.S. dollar, and the U.S. dollar was like a straw sucking up the whole liquidity, and um, uh, the U.S. dollar greatly outperformed in 2022 and since like um six months or so uh we saw a big drawdown in the dxy in the us dollar index um and a lot of people uh prophesize uh, the end of the us dollar and a slow a slow bleed away um and uh i personally i have a, a different theory on, on on this uh but i would be interested in your thoughts on on, on the whole topic yeah, I don't have a strong thought. I mean, obviously, we saw a bit of a um, change with everything since the beginning of the year. Um, I think this fits like well with everything that's happening, but I don't know. I don't have any deeper thoughts, to be honest. Haven't, uh... no, don't have. Do we want to finish with uh, cake specific topics? Or a um, bit... why don't we? So I have a couple of other headlines. I just want to throw them in. Um, Binance. Binance versus CFTC. Uh, Q2. Um, any development or nothing? What's your thought? Um, a lot of thought. Uh, a lot of uh, fear, uncertainty, doubt, rumors, uh, but no um, legit actual follow-up. Usually these things take a lot of time. That would be my... Uh, criminal follow-up? So far, not it's not, nothing criminal. So, okay, not in Q2. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay, let me take the opposite side here, uh, just so that we have a little bit of some interesting things. So I think two things, SEC is going to go after BNB and um, they're going to find some way to say that BNB was sold to US investors um, and making it a security because to me, that's super weird that BNB was actually completely excluded out of the CFTC kind of uh, suit. Just really curious um, to see that. And the second thing, 
DOJ, Department of Justice. Hmm. Okay, Department of Justice is going to go after CC and uh, Samuel Lim. Um, so I do think there are, we may see something there in Q2. Um, I think that's a bit of a stretch, to be honest. But So there's something criminal happening there. Um, but I do think the SEC one is going to probably follow relatively fast. Yeah. Mm. Um, what about uh, Digital Currency Group? It's gotten very quiet around this. Um, they have about a $575 million loan that they need to pay back to Genesis in May. Um, the reason why this is relevant is um, obviously because the debtors to Genesis, right, like um, uh, like uh, Gemini and so on, they're really going to want, obviously, DCG to pay that loan back so that they have more to claim. Um, do you think that that's going to cause issues? Do you think Barry uh, can convolute that and, and just drag this further down? Do you think the rising prices right now in crypto... I mean, look, all of us who are in crypto, and I mean, look, a company as well, our company has a crypto treasuries. Obviously, we also went up massively with the crypto treasury. Everyone who's in crypto did that. Obviously, Barry Silbert will have done that. Do you think that that's going to cause some issues or do you think that's just going to be a can that's going to drag, be dragged down the road? Got very quiet around it. Um, obviously, it was big news always in January and then got super quiet because there were so many other things. I, I, I don't think a lot of issues but the trend that i kind of have an eye on and this is both a very big worry of mine and also something i'm quite sure is going to play out and going to happen and it's not that i'm wishing for that actually i do, do not wish for that at all but i but i'm like 80 percent certain that the trend is going in that direction and i just think um, that a lot of traditional institutions like the Nasdaq, like BlackRock, like Fidelity, Circle, uh, a lot of threat fi institutions will use the coming year and sweep up everything in the US. And crypto is going to be um, like just the same institutions as we had before. Uh, and like you can already see a little bit of the trends going into that direction. And I can really foresee that uh, digital currency C group is going to end up in the lap of one of these companies. That would be my my best guess. Uh, probably it's going to be dragged out a bit later. Not that it, everything is going to escalate in Q2, um, but I, I can completely foresee one of these, maybe even another company, but maybe one of the four uh, sweeping up um, uh, a few things in, in, in the crypto space. Um. Crypto crackdown from the government? Q2? Yeah, um, I think they're not going to stop. Uh, they they kind of showed their hand. The, uh, yeah, the SEC and the CFTC, probably more. We, we're probably going to see even more from the SEC. Like the, 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 the biggest domino in place there is the one we already have since like two years, which is the, the Ripple lawsuit. And... I know the XRP community is very, very certain that they are going going to win. I don't think so at all. Uh, the, the 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 regulated SEC has a very easy hand there. It's just dragging out and dragging out. But if if this domino is going to fall, a lot of others will uh, as well. And they're not gonna. They, I don't think that they're going to settle this case. I I, I think that they want to um, uh, establish a. Oh, I'm missing the word. Um, but I think a precedent. We, we will a precedent. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think we are going to see a lot more um, uh, accusations, a lot more lawsuits, and uh, them really doubling down um, on 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 regulation in the U.S. Uh, I, it's also a little bit of a worry that they are kind of going to push out a lot of business overseas. Um, but they they already showed their hand. Why would they backpedal right now? Uh, I don't know. What's what's your take on on regulation in the U.S.? Completely aligned. Um, yeah, I am aligned there. Um, they're just gonna keep going. Whatever they find. Um, let me just see something else. Uh, Mika in Europe uh, or Mika something or Mika. I think it's Mika. Um, anything? Your thoughts on this? I mean, obviously we've been following this quite in detail. Um, it's the uh, digital crypto asset regulation in Europe um, supposed to be voted on in April. What do you think about this? 
I'm personally um, neutral on Mika. I think it's a good thing uh, that they, because we are very fractured when it comes to regulation and Mika is actually not that bad. It's, it's especially from an institutional perspective and also from investors, it's, it's probably going to be a lot better than the situation we are having right now. And the first timeline, I think, was la end of last year and they kind of uh, shoved it along and, and we're going to probably see some results or it being voted on. I hope they vote, they vote it through. And after that, usually it takes like a year or 18 months for it to finally be implemented. So I hope Mika is going through the other things that are happening in Europe, like they want to uh, make that investors declare every transaction above a thousand dollars. And there, there's a lot of like legislation that is suggested that is very, very harmful. Um, and I hope they're going to be easy on those. Uh, so they are not... Um, irrational and vote something in that they don't quite understand the impact of but with europe we kind of tend to push out all of these tax and innovation stuff fairly early on and then also why should this time be di different uh, so i kind of think that my europe fear is, is if they add yeah. this stuff in where they really limit the transactions i mean this was an entire discussion where they said um, CFI, like centralized platforms can, for example, have to limit everything to a thousand dollars or something. So I really hope that this stuff doesn't go in. Uh, but it, uh, like rumor is that the U S is really pressuring Europe to add this in. And I don't think Europe has much of a leg up against the U S. So, yeah. Um, anything else that I forgot as a bit of a preview? What about uh, Doge? Do you think that thing is going to have legs? Uh, Elon is pumping his bags. Um, or do you think that's just a choke? Do you think he's going to leave the logo up um, on Twitter? Sometimes I, I really don't understand Elon's <laughs> uh, actions. Like he... <sighs> I think he's and just trolling I, I, sometimes, really. He, yeah, really he's, think he's, he's really just trolling. He just like wants to things, piss people off. <laughs> I really think. He really does. Like, the same as with the follow... sugar post. Come on. Exactly. Can you see this? Exactly. Yeah, come on. Like, I'm like, dude, come on. You're just, now you're just fucking with everyone. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Probably it's just uh, when, it, when things are boring, he just needs this edge or this uh, uh, thing that keeps him going to trigger other people. Yeah, or like sometimes of... probably he has frustrations and whatever. And then he's just, you know what? Let me just piss a couple people off. And yeah, it's like feel better or something. I don't know. I, I really think, I mean, I, sometimes I just really think he's just trolling. Like, I, I do think he's not going to let go of this whole Doge thing. And we're probably going to end up with some kind of tipping function or some kind of Doge integration in Twitter. I really think so. And I, 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 look, I'm, I'm, I'm in crypto for a while and I, I hold some Doge. Back, back in the days, it was um, very different than it was after 2020, after Elon took over. Uh, the Doge community was very different. Uh, now there's a lot of Gen Z and millennials that, you know, just want to see this thing going to a dollar. And then even though I hate this kind of thinking and I hate uh, where all of this has led, um, I still think that we are probably going to see the dollar again um, because he he's not going to let this go. And, uh, and there's a lot of irrational people that are going to end up buying this thing just because... There is a Twitter. Like we pumped, I think, more than 30% yesterday just by Elon adding <laughs> the logo on the top right of Twitter. Uh, so, yeah, it is what it is. Let's finish strong uh, on cake side. Um, we're going to go into more details next week um, if everything is out, but uh, that's kind of the plan. So, um, yeah, we, we just want to highlight that. So, a couple of things. What can you expect um, this upcoming quarter? Um, New coins, so we're definitely going to list more coins. Um, for those that always ask which coins, we are mainly going to look at the market cap of those coins. We mainly look uh, for popularity based on the communities out there, right? So, yes, we always want to hear from you. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, at the end, we're still going to look at some very rational parameters. Second thing, uh, aggressively working on the Cake Elite um, additional benefits. So you should hear about this soon. So that's going to be for all of those that are existing elites. You're going to be seeing those benefits. You're going to be very happy about this. Um, obviously, then the new elites, um, you're going to get uh, slightly worse 
um, a, of a deal than the early elites. That's just how it is. So, um, I, I mean, it makes sense. Um, the other thing, we're going to revamp the app. Um, so that should also be done. Um, I think that's going to be a, an absolute key focus, um, cleaning everything up. So um, then, did I miss anything? Um, I think we have one or two things that I don't want to talk about so much right now that we're going to um, hopefully surprise you with in a positive manner. But is there anything else, uh, Fabio, that uh, I forgot that we need to mention? Um I would just urge everybody to tune into next week's episode. Uh, no promises here, but we're going to probably feature the transparency report. So we do these reports uh, every quarter, at the end of every quarter. Uh, and we're going to give you deep insights into our roadmap, into our finance. Uh, we're going to reflect on the past. We're going to look into the future. Um, and these are usually uh, very exciting episodes. Um, and it, there is a very high chance that we are going to do that next week. So uh, already said the reminder next week, uh, this is, I think, 12 UTC and 6 p.m. Singapore time next Tuesday. Um, and we're going to uh, talk about uh, uh, the cake transparency report. Um, so I'm not going give to uh, give anything away right now, um, but uh, tease a little bit so uh, that we can have an in-depth session uh, fully uh, focused on cake next week. Love that. With that, Fabio, thank you so much for all your insights, Q1, Q2 what to watch out for. Uh, if you're not a customer yet, go to cakediva.com, sign up, get cash flow on crypto, take control of your financial destiny. If you're looking to work for a crypto company, um, we're mainly looking to hire here in Singapore, then apply, go to cakediva.com slash jobs. We're still hiring, still growing. Uh, we're a bit over 170 people right now, probably going to add about 10 people in Q2. And uh, yeah, on marketing, ops, engineering, everything. So uh, very much appreciate it. Fabio, thank you. Have a good rest of the week, everyone. Take care, stay safe, stay healthy. And uh, obviously, crypto to the moon, that would be the best and easiest for everyone. So thank you so much, everyone. Have a good one.